Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. With 44% of its population fully vaccinated, Georgia is running behind, far behind, the rest of the nation. And among the state's Latino community, a population that has been disproportionately affected by COVID-19, vaccination rates are even lower. Less than 45% of people are fully vaccinated, and only 49% of people have gotten one dose, less than half of the state. The state also just passed 1 million total COVID-19 cases. That is 9% of our population. Reverend Irma Guerra, a Mexican immigrant and minister at Christ Church Episcopal in Norcross, has used her platform to be, as she calls it, a vaccine evangelizer. She's used social media, her pulpit, and even gone door-to-door to dispel some of the misinformation about the vaccine. Reverend Guerra was profiled recently by AJC journalist Latauro Grinspan, who's been covering the effects of the pandemic on the state's Latino community. So, Latara, we've had a vaccine now in the U.S. for about eight months against the coronavirus. And today, as we speak, though, in Georgia, we're still really far behind. How does that stand among Hispanic communities in Georgia? What is their vaccination rate? Hispanic communities are a little bit behind, according to data compiled by the Kaiser Family Foundation. As of September 7th, 41% of Hispanic residents in Georgia have received at least one vaccine dose. That's on par with the vaccination rate among Black residents in Georgia, but it's uh, five percentage points below that of white Georgians. And the Kaiser Family Foundation found white people are about one and a half times as likely to be vaccinated than African-Americans and nearly four times as likely to be vaccinated than Hispanic people here in Georgia. And that discrepancy is more or less what we're seeing nationwide. And uh, the share of COVID-19 vaccines that have gone out to Latinos in Georgia is lower than the share of the population that identifies as Latino, but only by a little bit. So. 10% of Georgia's population is Latino and 9% of Georgia vaccine recipients are Latino. So they are underrepresented among vaccinated people in Georgia, but again, only only slightly. So why is that? I mean, if you look at, again, Georgia as a population as a whole, we're still way below the national average. And then when you're talking about Latino communities, they're still a little bit even below that. So what's the what's the reason? What are the reasons? Lots of reasons, plural. I think I'll start by telling you about Julio, who is an undocumented immigrant from El Salvador that I met in late July. And I asked him to sort of tell me why it had taken him that long to get his shot. And and he explained that he always had the intention of getting vaccinated, but that he just didn't have the time. Um, You know, he, he works this physically demanding construction job. He has a grueling work schedule, um, on call six days a week, hours can be unpredictable. And that made it really difficult for him to line up the time to both get the vaccine and recover from possible side effects before being due for his next shift. And the community advocates that I've been speaking to say Julio's story is actually sort of fairly representative of the 
broader unvaccinated population. But that aside, there are many other obstacles and hurdles that, that officials face. What was explained to me is that outreach to immigrant communities about the vaccine often needs to compensate for immigrants' lack of access to or, or even trust in the, the healthcare system. Dr. Jose Cordero with the University of Georgia says it also has to do with the fact that a lot of Latinos have low income. They are essential workers and a lot of them don't have the proper access to health care. So they just don't have that authority to turn to, to ask questions and get information about the vaccine. And, and as far as undocumented immigrants are concerned, there's a lot of worry that they will be asked to show an ID they don't have at vaccination clinics or that or that getting vaccinated will somehow compromise their personal information and expose them to immigration authorities. So yeah, many obstacles can be a factor and you really have to be aware of all the valid concerns that folks have and think about ways to put them at ease if you want to mount a successful vaccination campaign targeting immigrants. Let's talk about the, the suspicion and fear aspect. Some are concerned that their personal information might have to be given, that they might be asked for insurance cards or ID. Is that a requirement to get a vaccine? That is uh, a common misconception, and that's something that all of these um, officials and advocates who are working to get immigrants vaccinated have to um, talk about over and over. Um, you know, you don't need any sort of ID to get vaccinated. Um, at vaccination clinics, uh, you know, folks may be asked to provide an ID, but that's only to confirm folks, uh, the spelling of folks' names. Um, and if um, people don't have a, you know, a U.S. Um, piece of ID, they are always able to show a foreign passport or, or a foreign ID. And of course, the vaccine itself is free. It's free. You don't need insurance. And, and that's also, I think, a common misconception that, that is still holding people back. Has there been any reports or, or any indication that, say, immigration and customs enforcement is somehow allied or, or working with vaccine providers to somehow track people that they might want to deport? The simple answer is, is no. We haven't seen a single instance of, of that being the case. And, and that's something that, again, these advocates are, are working really hard to, to ease those fears that they have. Well, let's talk about some of those advocates. You mentioned Julio, a worker who spent a lot of time before he actually did get a vaccine. But what about some of the, of the people who are out there in the community trying to, to get these folks vaccinated? There's all kinds of, of people who have really uh, made it sort of their mission to to get those vaccination rates boosted up. And one sort of woman who I spent a lot of time with is a, a Mexican immigrant and a reverend at Christ Church Episcopal in Norcross. Her name is Irma Guerra. And it's a relatively large church with around 1,500 members and uh, since the beginning of the year, she has made a very concerted effort to, to use her platform and, and the trust she has cultivated in the community to encourage fellow immigrants, fellow Latinos to take the COVID vaccine. And I actually learned about her work through a video that she shot with the Latino Community Fund this summer. And I came across that video and I was sort of immediately really drawn to her because it was clear that, you know, here was someone who really chose to take a very active, hands-on role, trying to enhance public trust in the vaccine at a time when vaccination rates in the state had really started to, to lag and fall behind. And, and what, what drew her to, to this work? She told me she was inspired to 
as she put it, evangelized for vaccines because she was registering really palpable anxiety among her congregation around the topic of vaccination. And so she first began encouraging people to get vaccinated during Mass on Sundays and and on these live stream daily prayer sessions she does on Facebook every day. Uh, But then she also started going door knocking in apartment complexes in the neighborhood, going to uh, stores and and shopping malls to really try to bring her pro-vaccine message to as many people as possible. And during the day that I spent with her, she had chosen to go to a Supermercado Jalisco in Norcross, which is a Mexican grocery store. And she would just intercept people by the checkout counter, asking them if they had been vaccinated yet. And and I actually spoke to Reverend Guerra about her strategy when it comes to having one-on-one conversations with people who are vaccine hesitant, especially at the church. Because I thought she might have like um, a script of sorts for conversations like that. But she says it's a lot of playing it by ear, really listening to whatever concerns people have and then sort of trying her best to address them. And one of the biggest things that she tells me she's up against every day is is Spanish language vaccine misinformation that she says is reaching many people in her congregation through Facebook, you know, YouTube or WhatsApp. She says she's constantly having to debunk conspiracy theories and explain that, no, you know, there's no tracking chips in vaccines or vaccines don't cause infertility. It can be really harebrained stuff. According to researchers at the Brookings Institution, the potential for negative long-term health effects was the top concern among Latino residents surveyed. Misinformation has a real sway, and it's not that there's more bad content or conspiracy theories in Spanish, but there's simply less of a mainstream media infrastructure in the U.S. and in Georgia to counterbalance the lies and, and consistently expose people to the facts. Stay with us next on Georgia Today, why Reverend Guerra's message about getting vaccinated isn't always well-received. I'm Steve Fennessy. If you like hearing the news from around the state here on Georgia Today, you'll probably like hearing how Georgia's agriculture economy feeds the country and the world on A Fork in the Road. I'm David Zelsky, and on the Fork in the Road podcast, we feature stories from Georgia's farmers, fishermen, merchants, artisans, chefs, and others who help provide Georgia-grown products to folks in the Peach State and beyond. Find it online at gpb.org slash podcasts or download it on your favorite podcast platform. I'm Steve Fennessy. This week I'm here with Lataro Grinspan, a journalist at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution who recently shadowed Reverend Irma Guerra as she traveled amid Metro Atlanta's Latino community, persuading skeptics and procrastinators to get vaccinated. Does she have sort of a benchmark in mind when she is she going out? I want to convince 20 people today that to, to get vaccinated. I want to I'm hoping to get 100 people this week. What's sort of her approach or her strategy? She sets very modest goals for herself. You know, she thinks it's a big victory when she gets one or two people to to come around on on vaccines um, any given day. And, you know, she knows that in order to make a difference, she has to really keep this work up day after day after day. And and it's a slow process. And and she knows that sometimes, you know, she has to to go back to people. And, uh, you know, because she might not have gotten through to them the first time, and it takes sort of two, three, four conversations to make progress. And, and she says she understands that and, and is willing to put in that, that work. That's her, her philosophy when it comes to this. She's a woman, and 
correct me if I'm wrong, but the majority of the Hispanic community that she's probably doing outreach to are, are Catholic. And so what's their reaction to to a woman of the cloth? Yeah, that's a good question, especially because um, Reverend Guerra is actually a bit of a histor- historic figure in, in the sense that in 2018 when she, she, she was actually one of the first two female Hispanic priests in the Episcopal Diocese of Atlanta. And, and, and that's something that can be an obstacle when she makes these forays into the community and, and, and tries to engage with folks. Because like you said, the majority of Latinos remain affiliated with the Catholic Church, a church that prohibits women from becoming ordained. So, you know, she'll have these conversations uh, about COVID, about the vaccine, and, and they'll sometimes get derailed by, by people asking her sort of what she's doing, wearing a clerical color, sort of not understanding um, her, her role at all. It's this extra burden that she has to be mindful of, but I think she, she's taking it all in stride. And this effort is particularly personal for her because she herself battled COVID-19 like, like a lot of us. So what, what was her particular situation when she was infected? She got sick in July 2020. She didn't wind up in the hospital, but still had a really long and painful battle with the disease at home. And, and that is definitely an inspiration behind the work that she's doing now. She knows COVID is real. She knows how high the stakes are in this vaccination drive. And it's a story that um, you come across a lot in the community, actually. You know, when I went to many different vaccination events targeting Latinos over the past couple of months, and I spoke to many people who told me that they had chosen to get vaccinated because they had had a bad case of COVID or because they had lost family members to the disease, either here or back in their home countries. And I think it's important to remember, as we have the discussion, that Latinos have been disproportionately impacted by the new coronavirus. Throughout the pandemic, they have been more likely to contract COVID, more likely to be hospitalized and more likely to die from COVID than sort of their white non-Hispanic counterparts. And um, and immigrants are also overrepresented among the ranks of essential workers in this country who are more likely to be exposed to the virus on a daily basis. So there's a lot of firsthand experience with the damage that the disease can cause. And that's definitely, I think, motivating people to get the shot. So Reverend Guerra's outreach is one component of many that are happening throughout the state um, in all kinds of communities. To what degree is this an organized effort or thousands and thousands of small little efforts by people like Reverend Guerra to try to get more people vaccinated? Is the state trying to to do this outreach into other immigrant communities too? And is there any sort of concerted effort in that regard? It's a mix. I think health officials are are delegating uh, sort of a lot of this responsibility and just teaming up with with nonprofits and community advocates to bring as many pop-up vaccination sites as possible to Metro Atlanta's immigrant enclaves with the goal of bringing vaccines to the places that people are already in and, and really trying to leverage the organizations, the community leaders like Reverend Guerra that have already built these, these long ties in the community. On any given day, you might have a vaccination clinic at a foreign consulate, at places like Plaza Fiesta, the Latin American Association, popular markets, ethnic churches. The cab is targeting Latinx and black communities by offering free shots at food giveaways in their communities like this one. Since it started 13 months ago, the events draw thousands of cars every Saturday. 
And you also see actually employers with big immigrant employee bases, like the, the big local tortilla producer, Ole Foods, hosting clinics. And a common thing you'll see in these clinics is really, you know, bilingual volunteers being tapped to, to run these events, to make sure no language barriers stand in the way of people getting the shot. It's a very targeted approach that is working, but it's just slow going because these are small scale clinics. So you kind of have to hit up these culturally relevant spots over and over and over and establish consistent presence to make a difference. But yeah, the goal is, like I said, to be where people are and, and not have them and not have to ask them to get out of their way to, to get vaccinated. It's really about removing the accessibility barrier um, as much as possible. When we're talking about the Hispanic community specifically in Georgia, how important is the clergy and being sort of an ambassador for the vaccine? It's a very important uh, component of this. And, I've, you know, Reverend Guerra is, is one of many sort of members of the Hispanic clergy that are trying to uh, make a difference in this way. And I think, you know, it stands in, in contrast to what we have seen in other parts of the country uh, when it comes to Hispanic children, Latino pastors that have actually played a counterproductive role and, and actually stoking the flames of, uh, of vaccine hesitancy by uh, pushing this narrative that um, it's uh, what they've sort of been calling the, the mark of the devil or that you're somehow completely ceding control to, to the state by getting vaccinated. You do not give me my rights, sir, whether you're a politician or a doctor. I would rather die free and I had to live on my knees. How is it living on your knees to take a vaccine? Because you're bowing against your convictions. And, and I actually did a lot of that uh, coverage in, in my last reporting job in Miami. And, and so when I came here, it was um, a complete change of pace, um, sort of um, getting to meet and, and spend some time with folks like Reverend Guerra that are using this, this influence they have to use it to get people vaccinated. Latara, you've been uh, covering the vaccination efforts uh, for several months now. And I found uh, a story you did back in July particularly interesting because the AJC, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, uh, where, you're, where you're writing, well, they crunched some numbers and showed that the larger the immigrant population was in a, in a neighborhood, the greater the vaccination rate. Um, and so what, what explains that? Why would that be? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, at the AJC, we have an amazing data team, and, and they had found before that the two factors that are the most predictive of a neighborhood's vaccination rate is the size of its elderly population and the percentage of people in that neighborhood with college degrees. But I asked them sort of out of curiosity to also look at the relation between the amount of foreign-born people in a neighborhood and that neighborhood's vaccination rate to see if, if there was a link, an impact of, of some kind. And what they found, yeah, was, was honestly pretty surprising. They found that Across Georgia, census tracts, there is a positive relationship between foreign-born population totals and vaccination rates, which means that, like you said, the more immigrants a neighborhood has, the more vaccinated its people tend to be. Um, and why is that the case? It's, um, I don't know, it's hard to pinpoint. Um, I, think it's certainly, I think it's certainly a credit to the work of officials and advocates who've been so deliberate about bringing the vaccines uh, to immigrants and refugee communities. Anecdotally, people say that there are motivations that drive immigrants to take the vaccine that aren't there as much, perhaps, for non-immigrants. So a Latino 
community fund organizer told me that some people see it as a privilege to be here in the U.S. and have vaccines so readily available when that isn't the case in our home countries. So they should take advantage of that. And and I can see that, you know, I'm from Argentina and I was able to get fully vaccinated here months before my grandparents who are back home and in their 70s and 80s. So we are in touch with people who really, really wish they were here so they could get the vaccine. And there's also this theory, which was relayed to me by experts at Georgia State University, that vaccines are less politicized among immigrants in the U.S. compared to native-born folks. And that could be a boon as well. Many people know of family members, friends who are shilling out all this money to get a plane ticket, to get vaccinated here. That was especially, you know, the case a bit earlier in the pandemic. There is this, this perspective that I think motivates people to take advantage of the opportunities they have here. Not long ago, uh, President Biden gave us a frank talk um, and said that for specifically for businesses that employ 100 or more people, they need to be either testing their workers once a week or they can get a vaccine, um, but they have to do one or the other. Um, to, to what degree, if any, do you see this um, impacting efforts to vaccinate immigrant communities? What effect will this have? I don't think immigrant communities will let anything get in their way of, of putting food on the table and, and providing for their families. You know, like most people, at the end of the day, they won't be willing to lose their jobs over their vaccination status. And if these new mandates encourage more employers to make it easy for workers to get the vaccine, whether it be by hosting vaccination drives on site at these workplaces or or providing information and guidance to let people know how they can get vaccinated, where they can get vaccinated, that can only be, I think, a positive thing for, for this community. Lataro, you've talked about how important it is that all of us who might be vaccine hesitant or just haven't had access to a vaccine for whatever reason, um, kind of you know, be met on, on, on our terms. In, in other words, you go out to, to the place where the, people's all, where the people are that you're trying to reach. How important, though, is it also to tailor the language um, and make sure that that's important when you're trying to convince people of the need for them to get vaccinated? I think paying attention to, to those details is, is very important, and, and that's why You'll hear from advocates who are organizing these vaccination clinics. They pay a lot of attention to the signs that, you know, welcome people in, making sure it's in, in people's native languages. When they put out flyers or, or advertisements on social media to get people to come in to vaccination clinics, they'll... We're not taking into account. Erika Corona, who's originally from Mexico and moved to Georgia seven years ago, one, she wants to get the vaccine. Two, she knows many in the Latino community do not. And three, she's seen no information about COVID-19 in Spanish, her native language. Uh, make sure to avoid using words like immigrants, actually, and, and using words in Spanish like, you know, this is an event for nuestra comunidad or community, speaking in a way that people will feel comforted in. And, and it's all about that. It's all about putting people at ease and, and, and those details, the language you use in, in, in clinics can make a difference. And that's why there's this concerted effort to make sure that, you know, as many people as possible who are involved in these clinics, be it from the people who check people in at the entrance to the personnel that's actually administering the shots, are able to to speak Spanish or, or whatever language the, the community that is being targeted speaks so that absolutely anyone um, involved in those clinics can answer questions and and play the role in, in putting people at ease. 
My thanks to Lataro Grinspan, a reporter with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. This week, the FDA and CDC authorized booster shots for those 65 and over who have received the Pfizer vaccine more than six months ago, as well as for Americans with certain medical conditions. In Georgia, 55% of the state's residents, almost 6 million people, have yet to receive their first shot. For more Georgia Today, go to gpb.org. I'm Steve Fennessy. Georgia Today is a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. Subscribe to our show anywhere you get podcasts. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple. Jahi Whitehead produced this episode. Jesse Nyswanger engineered it. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.